Father, I pray those would not just be words sung off a screen, but that would be the true desire of our heart. That your name, the name above every name, the name in which one day very soon every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That name, may that name be lifted higher. May that name increase in our trial. May that name increase in our faith. May that name increase in this church as we willingly humble ourselves under you and decrease and say, Lord, you must increase. I must decrease. Your kingdom come, my kingdom go. Your glory, not mine. Your praise, not mine. Your honor, not mine. For your grace is sufficient for me. Your power is made perfect, not when I come to you in my own strength, but in my weakness. You are not looking for my help. You are looking for those who call for help. And so I pray, I pray, Jesus Christ, that you would see an entire church here calling for your name, calling on the name of the Lord saying, Lord, you must increase, I must decrease. Speak to us today, Lord, please, as we open your word, that we would not come under it in pride and, well, I'll get around to it, maybe when I think about listening or obeying. No, 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 no. You are the king and we are your servants. You have all authority and we don't. You speak, we listen. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, oh, Lord, grow us more like you today, that each of us would not be the same that we were when we walked in here half an hour ago. But God, we would say, we've met with Jesus and I can't be the same. And I don't want to be the same, even if I could go back to that. And so God, be with my mouth today. Guard it from error. Say what you want to say from your sound word this morning. In Jesus' name, if you agree, church, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. We have the opportunity to continue on in our third message in our series going through verse by verse, line by line through the book of Titus. And we're, today we're going to open up our Bibles to Titus chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. Titus 1, verses 10 to 16. If you do not have a copy of God's word, the ushers are coming forward right now and would love to put one in your lap. Just put your hand up and our ushers are coming by to put one in your lap. And it's page 579 in those Bibles that they are handing out. Titus chapter 1, 10 to 16. And we are continuing on in our series called God's Heart for the Church. And just as a refresher, this series is looking at answering the question of what is God's blueprint for what a healthy church, what healthy believers are to look like? What is a healthy portrait of the church that God says it needs to be? And so let's do a quick recap. Our first message on this series two weeks ago, we talked about God's heart for our living on mission from our identity in Christ and then living out our mandate from Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at the qualifications for godly leadership and we walked through verses five to nine on the qualifications for elders. And now this week, we are gonna be looking at what underlies and drives all of those things and will be driving us through the rest of the series because nothing happens without it anything good anyway, and that is doctrinal purity. God's heart for his church is a heart for pure doctrine. Now, when you hear that, you may be like, snooze fest. I'm just going to close out. I'm not like some theologian locked in a room with a candle, is it whatever, studying it. Let's get some clarity on what we're talking about with doctrine. Wayne Grudem defines it this way. Doctrine is just simply this, loved ones, you'll see it on the screen, what the whole Bible teaches about some particular topic. It's what the whole Bible teaches. Another way that helps us examine doctrine is systematic theology. It's everything the Bible says about one particular area. Some examples are this, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of creation. Now, the beautiful thing about doctrine, among many, is that it keeps us from taking one verse and then twisting it to whatever we want it to mean out of context. That's the beauty of doctrine. 
We get what the whole Bible says on a particular topic, not just picking and choosing and twisting the verses that we want it to say to speak to our situation. Now, question, why is this so important that right here, right out of the gate in chapter 1, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, instructs Titus on this crucial topic? Why so important? Well, because pure doctrine is nothing less, loved ones, than one of the greatest needs in our church today. No question. One of the greatest needs in our church today, in our lives as believers today, is sound or pure doctrine. And here's why. Because the very health of every believer, you can't escape this, the very health of every believer, the very health of every church, literally is at stake. It depends on it. Sound doctrine, sound church. Sound doctrine, sound believer. Why? Why so important? Why doctrine? Because doctrine is the teachings of the Bible that God has given to lead us to him. That's a big deal. And if it matters to God, it needs to matter to us. Doctrine is the teachings of the Bible that God has given to lead us to him. Doctrine, if I could sum that up, is literally this. Doctrine is the path to God. Why is this important? What does doctrine do? Let's clear up some common misunderstandings. You'll see it on the screen. The importance of doctrine. Doctrine is important because an intimate relationship with God depends on the right knowledge of him. No question. An intimate, growing relationship with God depends on a right knowledge of him. Number two, sound doctrine is important because it allows us to hear, know, and pursue God. As he speaks to us through his word, not just twisting one little part of it, but he speaks to us as he intended to. Number three, Sound doctrine equips people and churches to fulfill their primary purpose to glorify and delight in God. You cannot truly delight in a God you do not truly know. It's impossible. Number four, doctrine protects the church, tells us what is right and wrong, and keeps us from drifting. As Ephesians 4.14 says, it keeps us from going every wind and wave of doctrine that people just get tossed because they're not grounded in sound doctrine. If I could sum all of those up, here's what I would say. Doctrine enables us to know God and to love God. Because here's the truth. Here's the sobering truth we have to recognize. We hear uh, often in this church, we're exhorted, and based on the great commandment of Jesus in uh, Matthew 22, 37, where he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, one of the greatest prayers we could ever pray is this, Lord, help me to love you more. But here's the sobering reality. You can't truly love God if you do not truly know God. You cannot Truly, it's impossible. And you say, well, that's kind of a big deal. Doctrine's all over the... Listen, doctrine saturates the Bible. It has to. It's the teachings of the Bible. When Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37, when he says, you shall, there's the imperative, there's the command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and... What's the third one? Mind. Mind. What is that? Doctrine. It's all over the place. You can't escape it. These people say, well, can't we all just love Jesus? Yeah, that's the idea. But it means you need to be grounded in sound doctrine. That's the reality. We must love him with our mind because we can't truly know God without the true doctrine of God, who God says he is and not who man wants him to be. Who God says he is throughout his entire word, not who man wants him to be. And this is why a clear understanding of the true gospel through sound doctrine in our lives and in this church is worth contending for. It is worth contending for and cannot be compromised. Why? Because if we aren't growing in true doctrine, loved ones, in sound doctrine, we aren't truly growing in God. That's a sobering word, eh? And the problem is this. Look around this world today. 
Look around the church landscape today. False teaching is rampant in the church today. Rampant. And increasing numbers of people and entire churches are being deceived and led astray by the twisting and distorting of God's word that reflects nothing of the true gospel and is leading people to hell. That's the reality in our church landscape today, increasingly. And here in our text, we will see that one of the main issues of the first century church, no different from today, one of the main issues of the first century church was the imminent threat of false teaching coming against it. And we will see two critical postures, loved ones, that we must take individually and corporately as a church if we are to uphold doctrinal purity, grow in the Lord faithfully, and see God establish this church for his glory. You guys ready to go? You guys ready to go? Let's have at it. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. And we'll read from Titus chapter 1, starting at verse 10, and we'll go to 14. Let's go 16. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God. This is one of the most sobering words right here. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Hear the word of the Lord, loved ones. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see in the first point of today is this, that to be a church that upholds doctrinal purity, we must engage the battle for purity and contend. We must engage the battle for purity and contend. And the question that we are confronted with in verses 10 to 14 is this. Sound doctrine is under attack. Am I contending for the truth? Sound doctrine is under attack. Am I contending for the truth? Look at 10 to 14. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be, notice the imperative, the urgency Paul says that. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. As in any passage of scripture, we need to get context. Context is key, right, loved ones? AD, 62 to 64, first century, this is when this is being written. The apostle Paul, don't forget, had planted churches on the island of Crete, just south of Greece. The island of Crete, and he planted them with Titus. Titus was Paul's son in the faith. We always give the credit to Timothy, but it's actually Titus too, who was a son in the faith of Paul. Most likely, Paul led him to faith. And this church that he's writing to, and subsequently the churches that were planted, they're approximately two to three years old at this point. They're brand new and they're filled with new believers who are not grounded yet in sound doctrine. And as a result of this, these churches are encountering vicious, false teachers who are rising up, preaching a false gospel, and threatening to divide and destroy the church. This is why, as we looked at last week, starting in verse 5 to 9, this is why the first thing Paul instructed Titus to do was to, to straighten out and put in order and to correct what is going wrong here by appointing elders who were to set the standard for godly character 
and oversee the faithful teaching of God's word, holding fast to it and rebuking or correcting those who are opposing it. Now, let's get a character sketch of who these false teachers are. We've got a character sketch of godly leadership and what all followers of Jesus Christ are called to that standard. Now let's look at the other side of that spectrum. Let's look at the character sketch of these false teachers. In verse 10, we see they were twisting and distorting a gospel and being insubordinate. See that there? Insubordinate. What that means is not submissive. They are not submissive. They are not willing to come under the authority of a church. That is a telltale sign of one who's a potential false teacher or a false teacher. They will not submit to accountability or come under the authority of godly leadership in the church. They will shut it off. Telltale sign. No different today. Number two, we see they were empty talkers and deceivers. Speaking lies or nonsense, that means. Saying, this is God's truth, I'm teaching you. But leading others astray. This, this fired me up this week. Leading others astray by exploiting those for financial gain, the shameful gain, who were not grounded in the truth and who were gullible. Does that fire you up? It's going on all over this world, loved ones. In increasing measure, people being spiritually and materially exploited for the shameful gain of false teachers. And who were these guys? Well, you drill down a little bit more. Notice where he keeps going. Keep going in verse 10. Especially those of the circumcision party. Who's that? These guys were called the Judaizers. Judaizers. Those who believed that along with faith in Christ. So yeah, we need salvation in Jesus. But you also need to continue to uphold the rituals and ceremonies of Jewish purification from the Old Testament law. And their main focus was circumcision. So if you're going to be truly saved, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. If you're going to truly be saved, then yeah, you need Jesus, but you also have to uphold the food laws and regulations. If you're going to be saved, yes, you need Jesus, but if you don't keep the Sabbath, you're in trouble. In essence, if I could sum up their teaching, it would be this. Jesus plus human effort equals salvation. Jesus plus my works equals salvation. Now you can sit here and you might say this. Well, wait a second. How could they fall for that? I mean, the apostle Paul He's an apostle. He got this word right from Christ himself. He had Titus there. there was two, they planted this church. It was planted on the sound doctrine. What's going on here? How could they possibly fall for that? I wouldn't do that. Just be very careful. Here's what we have to understand about false teachers. There is not a false teacher on the planet who will parade around and say, if you listen to what I'm saying, I will lead you to hell and exploit you and your family. You won't hear it. You have to understand, just like today, these Judaizers were very attractive. They were very well-versed. There is this personable appeal that they had. The sweet talker. There was a persuasive tone they would take. And here's the thing. Notice how they said Jesus plus effort. They would, they would give you just enough truth to reel you in. And then teach the deception. Yes, Jesus. We believe Jesus too. We need Jesus for salvation. Oh, oh, but if you really believe in Jesus, you're going to need to do this too. See, just enough truth. Nothing has changed. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing under the sun. Give him a little bit. Didn't Satan try this? That sounds familiar. Why? Because this is a satanic deception. Satan did the same thing. He tried it with Adam and Eve. Did God really say you can't eat of any? So he said, yeah, God said we couldn't eat of one, but there's Satan twisting it now. A little touch of truth. He tried it with Jesus. If he tried it with Jesus, when Jesus is being tempted, he's going to try it with you and me. I guarantee it. And so that's what these false teachers do. Just feed them a little bit. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Well, they believe in Jesus. I might as well. I need to do this too. Careful. Careful. See, in verse 11, look at Paul's response to these men. He says, they must be silenced. Notice, Paul states urgently and firmly. That's the tone of the letter. Paul's not speaking fluff in this letter of Titus. There's so much jam-packed in three chapters. He's like, this, 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 this. There's an urgency behind it because the church is about to crumble. 
And so he's like, Titus, this needs to happen now, and they must be silenced. The word for silence there in Greek means muzzled. you got to put a muzzle on them, Titus. They need to be shut down and not given a platform in the church to teach and to spread false doctrine, no matter how personable they may seem. They need to be shut down if the church is going to survive. The leaders, he says, and by extension, the body of Christ itself, were to contend for the faith and silence them. They were to silence them because they were destroyed. Here's what the false teachers were doing. Remember how the main thrust of Titus is to equip the church for evangelism, right? So here's the reality. They were destroying the witness of the church to the community by taking on the lifestyle. These false teachers, remember, they lived immoral lifestyles. Of course they do, because they're not being led by the Spirit. They're living immoral lifestyles, and they match the immoral culture that Crete was known for. And they're dividing the church, notice that in verse 11, as entire households, whole families, we're being upset. The word for upset there isn't me like, man, that guy's bothering me. No, the word upset there literally means entire households were being corrupted, overturned, and destroyed in their faith. Kind of ups the ante, eh? To muzzle them quickly by these false teachers deceiving them for shameful gain. What's shameful gain? There it is again, the profit, the money exploiting them. And then we see in verse 12, look how Paul, what Paul wisely uses to describe them. He uses someone from the Cretan's own culture in how they describe them. Paul then quotes a Greek prophet. Now the word for prophet isn't there, one who speaks from God. No, 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 no. The Greek word prophet here means poet. Very important. Okay? A poet, a Greek poet named Epimenides he was very, very highly esteemed in the 6th century. He was from Crete, highly esteemed by the people. And Paul quotes this poet's own general description of his own people of Crete. Now, one thing we have to understand is when Paul says, yes, it's true. He's not pinpointing every single individual specific person on the island of Crete. No offense if you're Cretan here today, okay? What he's saying is a generalization. This is what the people of Crete were known for doing. And look at this. He says... That they are liars, evil beasts. Verse 12, they devour. That means they don't care for the welfare of others. And they are lazy gluttons. And he's using this description to now describe the teaching and lifestyle of these false teachers. In their own words of the Cretans. And then in verse 13, Paul then states these teachers are to be what? Notice verse 13. He says, this testimony is true. Yes, therefore, rebuke them sharply. Now, rebuke, it's a bad name in the church today. Here's what rebuke means in the Greek. It means to correct with solid evidence from God's word to expose the lie. It's not going up to someone and say, I rebuke you, and like smoke them. No, no, no. It's to correct with solid evidence from God's word to expose the lie. And these teachers are to be rebuked. But notice how Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts how they're to be rebuked. Notice that. Keep reading. They were to be rebuked sharply. The word sharply there means abruptly, like right away. Like don't sit under that. Because why? Because false teaching defiles literally everything and everyone it touches. That's the reality. And you are to rebuke them sharply, abruptly. Say, that's not right. That's not right. Actually, let's go to God's word and let's figure this thing out. Stop it before more are overturned in their faith. Why? Notice the purpose of rebuke, though. It's not to domineer over someone. It's not to, like, one-up someone. Notice the purpose of rebuke. Keep reading. That these teachers may be restored restored to a healthy faith. Notice that in verse 13 where it says that they may be sound in the faith, healthy, corrected again, if by God's grace he would grant repentance to them. That they may be sound and stop devoting themselves, verse 14, to the Jewish myths and commands of men that have turned away from the truth of God's word and are adding to it. So notice there the purpose of rebuke is always to redeem and it's always to restore. 
it's never to destroy. It's to redeem and to, dis- and to restore. That's the purpose of rebuke. That they may be sound in the faith. And how are we to do this? Like all abrupt and you're getting in my face, man. Let me just show you some serious epistle knowledge. No. No. We are to rebuke. Again, let's take the doctrine of rebuke that we see all throughout scripture. Gently, patiently, in love, with complete patience and teaching, but upholding the truth and not compromising. To do it in love. To speak the truth in love without compromising. And this call, loved ones, this hasn't changed. This has not changed. It's the same for us. Look around. Look around, as I mentioned here. False teachings rampant in the world today. Believers and entire churches being blown by every wave or new idea of quote-unquote doctrine, just as Ephesians 4.14 states. The true gospel, the true word of God, is being twisted and distorted, resulting in, here's what happens, massive biblical illiteracy. Massive biblical illiteracy. And what's the damage of that? People unable to recognize what is false and what they're hearing. They have no grounding. Well, that sounds good. And sure, I'd like to have my needs met. So sure, I'll follow this. And what? There's a promise of getting this. Sure, I'll just... Tossed. They are easy prey. And they do not contend for the truth because they don't truly know it. This is pillaging the church today, loved ones. And some examples that we see are the false teaching of a gospel. Here, here's some three major common false teachings of the gospel. You see it on the screen. False teaching of the gospel that's consumeristic, individualistic. It's it's an allegiance to self, not to Christ. Jesus died. The message of a consumeristic gospel is this. Jesus died and rose again so I could get things from him. Jesus died and rose again so he could make me healthy. Jesus died and rose again so I could have a really large bank account and a Corvette in my driveway. Jesus died and rose again so I could live in comfort with the material possessions around me. I just keep adding and and if I just have enough faith, Jesus will give me more. That's the consumeristic allegiance to self false gospel that is being perpetrated throughout churches even right now this morning. And that is false. How do we know that? You say, well, that's a big word. What do you mean? Look at what Jesus says the true gospel is. Luke 9, 23. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, that means if you're going to be truly saved in me, let him deny himself. The consumeristic gospel has nothing about denying yourself. It's all about getting more, getting more, getting more, getting more. He says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Consumeristic gospel knows nothing of that. And people are being exploited over and over and over You know, here's the thing about the prosperity gospel is that it promotes and pushes forward the very things that Christ calls us to lay down. It promotes them to have, to gain, to seek Jesus, not for salvation, but for stuff. The very things we're called to deny ourselves and lay down. Next, we see the consumeristic gospel, but we also see a moralistic gospel being preached. What's a moralistic gospel? It's this. If I... Uh, behave right, I can achieve righteousness and salvation. There's no need for Christ. I can earn my way to heaven. Moralism, good behavior, humanism will get me there. Loved ones, it's time for a reality check this morning of the true gospel. Romans 3.10 says this. There is, not hear this word, there is none righteous, no, not one. You and I have no righteousness whatsoever on our own. None. This is why Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, it is by grace that you are saved through what? Your righteousness? No, through faith. And this not of yourself, it is not based on works so that no one can boast and say, man, Jesus is lucky he got me on his team. Really? 
this moralistic, work your way to heaven and maybe you'll... This is the difference between literally every other religion out there and Christianity. True, biblical Christianity. Every other religion is like, do, 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 earn, strive, do, do. And Jesus quite simply says, done. Faith in what? By grace you are saved through faith. Faith in what? In the true gospel that declares that in Christ God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. By Jesus Christ coming to earth, fully God, fully man, living a perfect life for 33 years, not sinning once, and paying the price for your sin and mine on that cross. Not so we could have a Corvette in the driveway, we could have something much greater called an inheritance with him for eternity and forgiveness of sin and be given the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to grow in his image in Christ like this now until he completes the work when we see him face to face. And he died on that cross and he was buried and rose again three days later defeating the power of sin and death for all time. And loved one, if you're here trying to earn your way to heaven, that's not going to happen because there is only one name. Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Not your name, not mine, but the name of Jesus Christ. There's the true gospel. There's the glorious reality of the true gospel. And then we see a third false gospel being perpetuated, and it is this. We see it with the Judaizers. Jesus plus anything else is necessary for salvation. <coughs> and yet, let's look at the true gospel. John 14, 6. Here's what Jesus says to that message. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there's no subpoint there to say, and your good effort. No one comes to the Father except through me and you taking communion every Sunday. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, yeah. And if you're a good parent, it's by grace, God giving us what we don't deserve, that we are saved through. Faith And here, here's, the, here's the truth that hit me so hard this week. These gospels, loved ones, aren't preached to save people. They are preached to starve people. They are not preached to save people. They are lies from the pit of hell to starve people. And yet Jesus says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. I'm so thankful for our Savior. Amen. Loved ones, sound doctrine is under attack and people are being deceived every day. Question, are you and I contending for the truth? Let's break that down even before we get there. Are you willing to contend for the truth with your coworkers who are being led astray, with the family member, in the truth, in love, in patience and teaching? Are you willing to contend for the truth with your children to increasingly be rooted in sound biblical doctrine and in love, grace, truth, gentleness, and patience confront those who would oppose it and lead others astray. Well, you may say, well, wait a second. I don't know how to do this. Like, I'm a brand new Christian myself. Like, how do I even do this? How do I, how do I grow in being rooted in sound doctrine and be able to recognize what is false to be equipped well, it starts with this understanding. Ready? You'll see it on the screen. It starts with this understanding. If we are to be faithful with the word, we must be grounded in the word. If we are going to be faithful with the word, to correct and to contend for the faith, we must be grounded in the word. What does this look like? Okay. Contending for the faith. You'll see five things we see time and time and time again all throughout scripture. And number one is this. If we're going to contend for the word, we need to do it individually and abide in the word. We need to abide in the word. Jesus says in John 15, 5, go ahead, put it up, team. Verse, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, notice that, 
that means remains, sits, remains with me. He it is that bears much fruit. Oh, here's a sobering word Jesus says, for apart from me you can do nothing. You're not going to contend for the faith if my words are not in you, if you are not sitting with me being renewed day by day in the gospel. And see, listen, let me encourage you, loved ones. I know, I know, sometimes it's really hard to get up in the morning and you're early and you're tired and it's just like, I just want to sleep in. Listen, every time you pull those covers aside, every time you make the choice to step out of bed, get your feet on the floor and get to the couch with your cup of coffee or tea or whatever it is you're drinking that morning, you are saying, I'm taking a stand to contend for the faith. Every time. I am taking a stand. I'm making a choice to contend for the faith today. Lord, change me. Speak to me. Ground me. And he will. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to ensure it. Next. So we see individually, we, if we're going to contend for the faith, we must abide in the word and have our God time. Next, we must be exhorted from the word. This is our gather time, what you're doing right now. We need to be exhorted by the word. Look at Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast. Notice this, look at this. Let us hold fast. Doctrine's all over the place. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. What's that, Doctrine sound doctrine. Let us hold fast to the confession of the hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and love this. And let us consider, here's why we gather, how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And what day is that? The return of Christ. And we are now the closest we've ever been in human history to the return of Jesus Christ. That means we got to up the ante here, loved ones. It's not forsaking meeting together. It's saying, okay, so I got this. <clears throat> I've seen it time and time again. Parents, well, I'll just take my kids to the, the tournament and I'll just do that. And then they wonder why they don't value church. If you give your kids to the world, do not be surprised when they become like it. Come and be exhorted under the teaching of the word of God to be stirred up by your brothers and sisters through God's word to love and good works. This is how we hold fast the confession. Number three, we must abide in the word if we're gonna contend for the faith. We must be exhorted from the word. I love this one. We must have accountability through the word. Group time. Group time. Look at Acts 2. And they, who's they? Apostles, or, or disciples and apostles. They devoted themselves, I love that, fervent devotion, to the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? Sound doctrine. It's all over. Sound doctrine. To the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. There's the group time. To the breaking of bread and prayers and awe came upon every soul. Of course it does. And many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Talk about an uncommon community today, eh? And they were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And watch this. And day by day, attending the temple together, there's your gather time, and breaking bread in your homes, there's your group time, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Of course he did. Why? Because that is what the church is supposed to be. An uncommon community. And I love, we're doing our small group. My wife and I oversee our small group ministry here and we're visiting the different small groups. And I love, I've loved this last month and a half going to all of our different small groups in Quebec and around the city, east to west. And I just love seeing what God is doing as people come together. And every time you make a decision, say, I'm not gonna skip small group tonight. I'm not gonna skip it. There's always gonna be a reason. I'll tell you that. There's always gonna be a reason to skip prayer night. Church, small group, anything that will build you up in the Lord, I guarantee it. Here's the reality. Every time you make the decision to say, you know what, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I might not feel like it right now, but I am getting there. You're making a decision to contend for the faith. When you can come around your brothers and sisters and be exhorted, and in, when men go off with men and women go off with men for accountability time, and we talk and we pray for each other, you can confess where you're at, and they can come around, that's contending for the faith. The enemy seeks to isolate us. God says, get in fellowship, quick. 
Because one of the greatest blessings God has given the church is the ability to fight together. No question. Abide in the word, God time. Be exhorted from the word, gather time. And accountability through the word, group time. Here's another one. We must live the word, give time. Live the word, give time. Look at 1 Peter 4. As each has received a gift, use it to serve. Nothing <laughs> punctures the consumeristic, individualistic, gospel, false gospel more than laying your life down to serve one another out of our identity in Christ. Servanthood as an identity, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. What's that? Doctrine in action. The glory of God being seen through the service of his people. We're not doing this to earn salvation. It's not Jesus plus me serving in the church. No, 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 no. It's serving one another as an overflow of what God has done in our lives as we grow in love with him. We grow in love for each other. It's a great commandment. Serving one another. Lastly is this. Abide in the word. Be exhorted from the word. Have accountability through the word. Live the word. And now proclaim the word. Go time. I love Matthew 28. I love Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It's our mission statement. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth. I love that statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. As a result of that, go. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's, here it is. Teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. What's that? Doctrine. Sound doctrine. Teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And greatest promise right here. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Go time. Proclaiming it to the people around us. Contending for the faith in a world obsessed with false doctrine. And if you need a reminder of this, this is our 5G discipleship model right at this church. Go pick up one of these cards at the connections desk and it outlines everything. God time, gather time, group time, give time. Do a study on it. Let this be your quiet time study. We see it all throughout scripture. Go ahead. I asked the connections group. They got lots back there to pick up. So do that today to keep it in front of you. Because here's what's at stake. As John Wesley said, what one generation tolerates the next generation will embrace. Let that sink in. My generation right now is looking a lot different than what my parents' generation did and what's coming against us. What's going to come against our kids? What one generation tolerates will be what the next one will embrace. Will you contend, loved ones, for the faith to see the next generation embrace the true God and the true Savior? Will you contend? See, to be a church that upholds doctrinal purity, we must engage the battle for purity and contend for the faith. And if we are to stay faithful in it, like I just love right now, like right down the hall, there's like 40 kids, 50 kids, whatever it is, down the hall, and there's a whole army of volunteers that are contending for the faith in the lives of the next generation. Will you join them? The Lord's entrusted that to us. What will we do on our watch? What will they accept as normal? Let's contend, loved ones. We get one shot at it. Let's contend. And if we are to stay faithful in this and not just be a flash in the pan on it, lastly is this today. We must constantly remember the cost of impurity, and that is corruption. The cost of impurity, corruption. And the question we're confronted with as we close this message is this. Beliefs are exposed through behavior. Am I denying the truth? Beliefs are exposed through behavior. Am I denying the truth? Look at 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. See, Paul finishes by saying that those who are pure, who's the pure? Genuine believers, made pure through the blood of Jesus Christ and not trying to uphold ritual purity practices that these Judaizers were putting in front of them. Circumcision, food laws, you name it. Pure through Jesus Christ alone. They don't need to worry about external rituals to purify themselves before God and have favor with them. But those who are defiled, keep moving on there in 15, but to the defiled, you know what the defiled means? It means spiritually defiled. 
false teachers and those who follow them to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure for them. Now notice this. Who are the unbelieving? This is sobering. Verse 16 at the start. They profess to know God. These teachers, these people were saying, we know Jesus. That's dangerous. We know God. We're convinced, we're absolutely 100% convinced we are saved. And they're not. They profess to know him. But they are corrupted. In two ways we see them corrupted. Number one, internally. Look at verse 15. In the mind. Notice what 15 says. To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing's pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. See, what is the mind? The mind is what understands and approves the truth of God's word. That's why Romans 12.1 says, Be renewed by the renewal of your mind through the word of God. That's what the mind does. And the, and the conscience there, the mind feeds the conscience. And the conscience is the warning system, a God-given warning system within each of us to detect what is false. If your mind is not being filled with the truth of God, it is not feeding your conscience the truth of God. And you will not detect what is false from what is true. This is what he's saying. When your mind is defiled, it goes south very quickly. Because without being built up and guarded by the truth, we're going to accept false teaching when it comes and be unable to know we are being deceived and think, and think instead we're being progressive. Be very careful. This is as serious as it gets. This is as serious as it gets, loved ones. And here, we don't see them just spiritually corrupted internally, but externally. Look at verse 16. Through their works. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. See, even though these teachers and people that follow them profess Christ and claim to be Christians, they show their unbelievers by their works. You will behave what you believe. Every time. Belief is the root of behavior. And these works deny God because they're living in disobedience to the true gospel, to the true word of God, sound doctrine. Their beliefs were unmasked by their behavior and same it is with us today. Talk is cheap. And instead of honoring Christ... They are, look at how he describes them. Does this sober you, loved ones? They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit in God's eyes for any good work. You know what that word unfit means? Hear this today. It means not approved. You have failed the test. Why? Because apart from Jesus Christ and being saved through the true gospel, you and I can do nothing to please God. We are totally depraved to do any spiritual good. Hear that word and let that sink in this morning. Yet they claim him, they do not know him. And in the life of a believer, here, in the life of a true believer, here's what it is. Let's get one thing straight. We're not talking about perfection. You're like, man, if I sin, am I like God? Listen, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about perseverance increasingly in the power of the Spirit. And in the life of a true believer, their confession will increasingly be matched by their progression. Their confession of Christ will be matched increasingly over time, over their lives, increasingly by their progression in Christ, more into his image, righteousness, holiness, and truth in obedience. And we say this here, what I believe to be one of the most terrifying words in all of scripture, Matthew 7, 21 to 23, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of, see there it is, does the will increasingly. Obedience. Who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day when we stand before Christ, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? Did we not confess you with our mouths? 
Yeah, I believe Jesus. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawliness. Detestable, disobedient, and unfit. So if I could sum it up, what's the cost of impurity? Nothing less than the corruption of your very soul. This is why, loved ones, sound, pure doctrine is the greatest need in the church today. Sound doctrine leads to life in God. You'll see it on the screen. But false doctrine leads to death apart from him. There's no other way. And our beliefs are exposed through behavior. Let me ask you the question before we go to communion. Where are you denying the truth? Where are you denying God's truth in your life? Maybe for some of you and you're like, I'm denying God's truth that I, don't, that I need a savior. And maybe the Holy Spirit in his mercy is opening your eyes right now to be like, I need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I love how 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not just for new believers. That's a prayer for believers now, an ongoing cleansing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, loved ones, when you hear his voice, if you're here and you've never confessed Christ as your Savior, you're not here by accident. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He loves you and gave his life up for you and is saying, come today, don't wait, because you might not get it tomorrow. And for our believers here, let me ask you, what area or areas of sin are you walking in and not repented of? Where are you denying of what God says is true in your life? See, sound doctrine, here's the danger. Sound doctrine never le- should lead us just to information in our heads. Yeah, I know stuff about the Bible so I can win an argument. No, 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 no. Here's what pure doctrine does. It doesn't lead just to information. It leads to transformation. So where, where? Are you denying the truth of God and walking in unrepentant sin in your life that you just need to get right with Jesus today? He's waiting. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And if we are to be a church that is faithful to God and upholding doctrinal purity, we have to engage the battle for purity and contend. And we must constantly remember the cost of impurity, corruption of our faith.